0: Good, thank you, and welcome to another Niners Nation podcast. This is the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Statz-Guerrera, along with my co-host, Levin Black. What is up, Levin?
1: Oh, just biding the time, waiting for real stuff to actually happen in the NFL. We got a little bit
0: of that today. By the way, this is episode 41, the Emmanuel Mosley edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. We got some real stuff today, Levin. The 49ers were on the field We heard from D'Amico Ryans for the first time, and we had some player availability as well. A few interesting quotes came out that we're going to get to. So today was real. We had stuff today.
1: Yeah, it's nice. It's a nice break. You know, we're at that part of the season where you could go an entire week without anything actually happening, and people are just drumming up something to talk about. This week is a little bit different. We still have the OTAs going on. We
0: got OTAs this week. We got OTAs next week. We got mandatory mini camp the week after that. Things are going to be happening in the near future for the 49ers, which is good because it makes our lives, frankly, a lot easier. And so let's get right into it, Levin. The, the big thing that I was looking forward to today was the first press conference from D'Amico Ryans because as much as we focus on the quarterback, the Niners have a brand new rookie defensive coordinator. He's never done the job before. I know a little bit about D'Amico Ryans because I actually remember him as a player, but we're still getting to know him, so it was nice to finally hear from D'Amico today.
1: Yeah, he's only 36. I mean, he quit playing just, what, six years ago. I think 2015 was his last year. Former Defensive Rookie of the Year. I remember talking about him. I had an old radio college show, and we were all picking our rookie defensive players of the year, and we are like, wow, this guy has like 130 tackles as a rookie. That's that's like my first memory of D'Amico Ryans. But yeah, I kind of liked what he said. I mean, we'll get into more of the details, but I thought it was a good first glimpse into D'Amico Ryans as the head guy.
0: So he started out with the typical defensive coordinator line, which I feel like everybody says, right? They said, like, what kind of a defense do you want to do? And he gave the typical, well, we're going to be fast. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to be smart. Like, that is the straight-up football guy, every possible response. I mean, I don't know what he, what else he was going to say. What was he going to say? We're going to be slow, boring, and, you know, not like to tackle. But I, I – As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh no, are we just getting generic defensive coordinator guy?
1: (laughs) No, and I think uh, Niner fans are going to be surprised when the season comes and sees what D'Amico Ryans is. Because we we have seen rumors before Salah even left that D'Amico Ryans wanted to blitz more. That if D'Amico Ryans becomes the defensive coordinator, there will be more blitzes. Everything he said today, and a lot of reading between the lines of what the players said, I think that's going to end up being true. We're going to see a defense that takes a little bit more risks, I think. They're they're going to try to force more turnovers, more sacks, but that will also mean that they're more susceptible to giving up the big play. And there's kind of a balance there, and he even touched on that, that there's a balance to being too aggressive and also throwing caution to the wind.
0: Yeah, that's a good point by you. Uh, you brought up the other things the players have said because I think – D'Amico's smart enough to be a little bit guarded, but some of the players aren't necessarily totally on their guard. Like uh, Samson Ibukum said, basically, when I was with the Rams, I had to do some reading. And with the 49ers, they don't want me to do any of that. They just want me to attack all the time, which to me means that he's basically their replacement for D Ford because they weren't dropping D Ford back in coverage either.
1: Right, and by reading, he doesn't mean like literal words reading. He means at the snap, he has to read what the deep or what the offense is doing, and adjust what he does before he can actually decide to go upfield. Say on like a passing play where the quarterback's dropping back, he has to have that split second hesitation. With the Niners, there is none of that, and that's by design. He is in that wide nine tech, where his job is to get upfield and try to get into the backfield. So that, I think, is going to lead to a really good year. You know, I've been saying it on Twitter the last couple of weeks. I think Samson is going, going to have a really big year, and he's going to become a fan favorite. And I would not be surprised if he ends up getting a double-digit sack season because the, D, or the offensive line is going to roll protection every single time to the other side of the line because you're going to have Nick Bosa on the other side of the line. So they're going to have to concentrate – and have the fullback or the tight end over on Bosa's side a lot more often than Samson's side. So he's going to have a f- kind of a free one-on-one often, and that's not even touching on the fact that on the other side will also be the guy that a lot of the players said is the breakout candidate, and that's Javon Kinlaw. Like that, that right side of the defensive line could be ridiculous.
0: I love that the 49ers are going to be dictating to teams basically how you have to block up front just because of all the talent that they have. And you're right to mention Kinlaw because Ryan's mentioned Kinlaw. He was asked for like three breakout candidates and he mentioned Javon Kinlaw, Kevin Givens, and Dre Greenlaw. Um, And I saw the report and... I'm super skeptical of this, but you know, Ryan said that oh, Kinlaw looks so much better in OTAs, you could tell all the work. Like, I am so done with that. <laughs> I there is nothing less valuable than OTA or training camp reports about how good people look. Remember when Solomon Thomas looked awesome last year? Solomon Thomas, Trent Taylor looked really, really good. This was the year. And then they got out in the field, and they were the same damn players they always were. Now, maybe Kinlaw will take a step forward, because it's year two for him. It's possible. But I'm not getting my hopes up, because D'Amico Ryans threw him a bone in his first press conference.
1: And see, the one that I really kind of zero in on, when D'Amico Ryans picked out Greenlaw as a breakout candidate, that kind of, to me, tied into him talking about being more aggressive, I think Greenlaw is going to be sitting on blitzes quite often. Just blitz him because I think the, the weakness to Greenlaw, he, he's very athletic. He's pretty good in coverage, but he, he's pretty slow to recognize things, to do the reading, as Samson said. But they if you blitz him and put him into the gap where you think the run could be, and if it's not a run, then he's already going upfield towards the quarterback. But if it is a run, he's blitzing the gap where the run should be. You know what I mean? like You kind of take away a little bit of him having to try to read the play before reacting.
0: It's so funny to hear him mention Greenlaw because literally on yesterday's Shanna plan, Kyle Posey and Akash talked about the most overrated 49er. And that was Kyle's pick was Dre Greenlaw. And his point was basically he's gotten worse in coverage since he's come into the league. And people love him because we think of the interception against Russell Wilson on Monday Night Football and the stop on the goal line in Seattle at the end of 2019 that clinched the number one seed for the Niners. But we overlook all his other deficiencies, and that is definitely one, like you mentioned. He's he's slow to read and react to the play. So if the 49ers recognize that and try and take some of that uncertainty away and just say, this is your job on this play, just go, maybe that will help. But I, I think it's interesting that KP literally picked him as most overrated, and the defensive coordinator the next day says he's going to have a breakout year.
1: You know, let's just put it this way. There's a reason why... I just threw it out there, you know, don't have any inside info, clearly, because I don't have inside info on really anything, <laughs> <laughs> but this was just an idea that popped in my head. The Niners were bringing in a lot of different linebackers. There were starters in in their on their former teams, and I thought, just threw it out there that what if they're doing that because they're in negotiations with Atlanta, and currently Atlanta is asking for a young linebacker and zeroing their pick on Greenlaw because you're not getting Warner. And the other linebackers aren't good enough. So if they want like a young, quality, somebody that can come in and start for them, Greenlaw would be the pick. And the Niners, I think, should consider that. And I think that tells you what I think of Greenlaw. I do think he's pretty overrated. I would have probably picked him as my most overrated if we had that topic because I've talked on, the, on Twitter before about how He's somebody that makes a lot of big plays because he's so athletic. He makes the wow play where like, holy crap, he got there, you know, or he comes out of nowhere to catch up to the running back, anything like that. But it's really hard on TV and to the casual fan to pick up when he's just not in the right spot at the right time, when he's not there and he should have been. You can't really pick that up just watching regular TV.
0: And if Greenlaw was part of that package, I tell you, I would rather give up Dre Greenlaw than the draft pick, to be honest with you. I mean, that's a whole separate deal. But if that were to be the case and they were going to make a move for Julio Jones, I would almost rather see like a Debo Greenlaw package with like a fourth or something like that. But I don't know. How do you feel about that?
1: I think that's a little rich. I don't think you need to include Debo. I don't believe for one second they've had a first-round pick offer. No, they haven't. I don't think they've had a second-round pick offer. I think teams know Atlanta is behind the eight ball here. And, yeah, there's a lot of risk to that trade. I I am a big Julio fan. I am a fan of making that move and getting him. But he is a 32-year-old receiver who is starting to have constant hamstring and other injury issues. So there's a lot of risk there. I don't think teams are going to be willing to give up a first or second in the trade. Now, something like a fourth and Greenlaw, I think that would probably be the top offer on on the board if Atlanta actually likes Greenlaw. You know, teams can be fickle when it comes to players like a player that's highly valued by one team. The other team could not view as a starter.
0: Yeah, we'll see on that Julio Jones thing. I'm just glad that the 49ers right now as an organization are not dumb enough, frankly, to put themselves in a situation like Atlanta. The Atlanta Falcons cannot sign their draft class right now because they don't have the money under the salary cap. That's never going to happen with the 49ers. Like, what do we talk about? Oh, they have 40 free agents, and they're not going to be able to bring everybody back. And yeah, they didn't bring every single person back, but they pretty much brought back all the important ones. And the 49ers just are smarter than that. They're not going to paint themselves into a corner like they had in the past when it comes to the salary cap.
1: Yeah, I think that is a, uh, edict, so to speak from above. I think that is the ownership group having been through two really painful rebuilds due to the salary cap and them saying, we're not doing that again. Like be good for a long time. Cause it's too hard to rebuild because the rebuilds took a while.
0: Some would say they're still rebuilding. <laughs> um, one other thing D'Amico Ryan said that I like at first, I was like, this guy's out of his mind. And then I stopped and thought about it. And I was like, holy crap, he's right. He said in his first answer, growing up watching the 49ers play defense, the defense has always stood out here. This has been a defensive organization. And I'm like, what's he talking about? The 49ers, West Coast offense. And then I looked, D'Amico Ryan's is 36. <laughs> if you look back growing up, basically, you know, like since late 90s, 2000. The 49ers have been a defensive organization. The offenses haven't really been great whereas when you think of the Niners you think of the great defenses with Patrick Willis and you obviously you think of 2019 like they sort of have been they've shifted to a defensive organization for, for I would say the past
1: 20 years. That's what happens when you don't have a quarterback. I mean, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> ever since Garcia left. Yep. This has been a terrible offensive team. There's been a few highlight years, and literally, I mean, few. And, I mean, if you're of a certain age or older, if you're essentially our age or older, mid-30s or older, you're looking at the Niners and thinking, yeah, you're old enough to remember those offensive teams of the 90s, basically. And so you still kind of think of the Niners and the West Coast offense. But to everybody else, which has to be pretty dang close to half the NFL fan base now, they look at the Niners, and it's been 18 years since they've had a consistently good offense, you know? So, I mean, that's going back to 2003. I was in high school.
0: <laughs> that was like, literally 18 years is half of my life.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I, I find myself, it, it, it's the whole age thing. I find myself going, you know, the Niners are an offensive franchise, and I start to think about it. And I'm like, well, if there was a team that was really good in the 70s with defense, but in the early 90s didn't have a hadn't had a good defense since, I wouldn't be calling them a defensive franchise. Right. That's the length of time that we have gone, and it just doesn't feel like it. We've literally gone from, if you do it, just move the dates. If you go from a team being really, really good in 1973 and then being bad pretty much the entire time until 1991, you're not going to keep identifying them with what they were in 1973 when you're in 1991. That's the length of the time we are. It just doesn't feel like it because... Everything 2000 seems new.
0: Okay, so that's what we heard from D'Amico Ryans. Um, But we heard from some players as well, and there were some interesting quotes that came out of that, including one that addressed an issue, Levin, that you and I have talked about on this show that could be a problem for the 49ers. It seems like they've recognized it, and they've addressed it, and we'll explain when we come back. We're back here on the Gold Standard Podcast. All right, Levin, you and I have talked about The leadership from a player perspective on the 49ers and how Richard Sherman is gone and they don't really have a vocal leader on defense because Fred Warner, while being a leader, is more of a quiet guy. And that came up today in the player availability. Jason Verrett and Jimmy Ward both talked about it. And listen to this from Jimmy Ward. I absolutely love this quote. If I got to be an asshole, I know I got to do it. If I got to be an asshole, I'll be an asshole. If I got to be a big brother, I'll be a big brother. If I got to be a coach, I'll be a coach. But I can't do none of that if I don't lead by example. I love that because it shows a willingness to do what's necessary and to speak up when necessary from Jimmy Ward. And to me, like, that question has now been solved. Who's going to be the vocal leader? It's going to be Jimmy Ward.
1: You know, we just witnessed a rebirth. That press conference is the official rebirth it's no longer Jimmy Ward, it's Uncle Jimmy. <laughs> he has taken over the uncle role on that defense. Uncle Sherm is gone, technically, maybe, possibly comes back. I think that's probably doubtful at this point. But somebody needed to pick up that that role of kind of guiding them, telling them when they're messing up, telling them when they're doing good, you know, fill all roles. And that is what we saw out of Sherman the last few years on the 49ers and Jimmy has fallen into that. So we need to start calling him uncle Jimmy.
0: I think that's only fair. I like that. He said it. I like that. He said it publicly. Jason Brett was also talking about he and Ward uh, and the veterans in the secondary feel a responsibility to help the other players with the defense and help D'Amico Ryan's like, you know, on both sides, basically help Ryan's with the defense, help the guys on the team. Everybody seems to be pulling in the same direction. I know it's not necessarily uncommon at OTAs, but I feel like all the concerns that we have brought up, I feel like the 49ers are aware of as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a team and a franchise that's willing to uh, to put it a certain way, psychoanalyze themselves to a certain extent, I think. And we saw that at the franchise or the front office level earlier this offseason when Kyle was talking about with all the injuries that they needed to reevaluate and maybe factor in injury history a little bit more. He didn't use those exact words, but he basically said, we can't just trust a guy's going to be healthy anymore. We need to actually bring in people who consistently play. So I think that's from the front office down. They are willing to take a hard look at themselves and to adjust. You know, you saw that with Salah last year. He changed his defense. What he had was not great, and he changed it uh, both in 2019 and 2020. He adjusted it to what he needed it to be, whereas he didn't do that in 17 and 18. One
0: Speaking of injuries, one thing Jason Verrett did say was that he was done talking about his injury history. He's just not going to do it anymore. In his mind, he's moved on. He gave the miners' medical staff a lot of credit in the past about saying how they really helped him get his knee right to where it needed to be. So he is moving on in his mind, which I kind of like, like I, you know, he's really trying to like speak it into existence or will it into existence, I should say. Uh over or under 10 games for Jason Verrett this year.
1: I I'll go over, but when you're talking about an injury prone player, you you're you're guessing. It's a guess. You can't predict that type of stuff. But yeah, to echo what you said, I get what you, what uh Jason Verrett is saying there and what he what he's thinking. I am totally fine with it. That's all fine and dandy, but the moment he gets dinged up, expect all those questions. Like that's the territory you you're in. It's like Jimmy, Jimmy got asked about his knee brace last week. <laughs> it comes with the territory.
0: Yeah, we're still we're still talking about injuries, Levin, because And I saw this, and this, like, ruined my day. I didn't want to start the pod with it. Let me just give you the absences from OTAs due to injury. Jaquiski Tart, toe. Brandon Ayuk, groin. Raheem Mostert, knee. Jalen Hurd, ACL. Now, I should say, he didn't re-injure his ACL. That's the same one from last year. Marcel Harris, groin. Richie James, hamstring. Travis Benjamin, calf. Maurice Hurst, shoulder contusion. D. Ford, back. Debo Samuel, personal. It's June 2nd as we record this. What the hell? How can all these guys
1: be dinged up? You said it yourself. It's June 2nd. These are not important practices. It doesn't matter. if They, they have even be... the slightest thing. They're not going to practice. And I think this is something that people are overreacting to. I don't know if it's because it's the time of the year and there's not much to go on and react to. Or if it's because we didn't have OTAs in 2020. But I went back and looked. In 2019, we had Malcolm Smith as our number one linebacker because all (laughs) the other ones were injured. We had Nick Bosa hurt with a hamstring that year as well. Like we didn't get to see Nick Bosa rookie OTA, you know, performance practices, whatever you want to call it. This is not uncommon. How do these guys have anything? Anything at all? Like they have to train. No, no, no. They train year round. This is not a sport, and this is not a league where you play three months and then you go gain 20 pounds in the offseason and try to lose it again. It's not a sport like that. You need so much bulk that it takes so much time to get it the bulk muscle that you need that you got to keep that bulk because you can't just say, okay, I'm going to crash here in the next month and show up to training camp with 20 pounds of extra muscle. It doesn't work that way.
0: Okay. It just seems like an awfully long list to me. That's all I'm saying. All we talked about is injuries, injuries, injuries. And then that first thing I see is who's not at OTAs. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, who the hell were Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance
1: throwing to out there? Talk to me when training camp starts. That's when it matters. June 2nd. Some of these guys are probably just going, hey, I'm going on vacation next week. I have a grind problem. You know, (laughs)
0: usually you get the groin problem after vacation, but that's for a totally separate reason.
1: I'm here just to collect my check for attending OTAs.
0: (laughs) Uh, By the way, there was a little bit of news. The 49ers signed tight end Michael Pruitt to a one year deal championship. Probably don't care about that at all, except for the fact, Levin, that it probably puts to rest the possibility that Delaney Walker will be returning to San Francisco.
1: Neither one would have mattered. Delaney Walker, loved him when he was here. He's not an NFL player anymore.
0: I still am amazed that the 49ers had Delaney Walker as the backup tight end in 2012, the year they went to the Super Bowl. Then he went to the AFC and made three straight Pro Bowls. Like He, he couldn't start because of Vernon Davis. He was the backup for the 49ers. That's how damn talented the roster was.
1: Yeah, they they had two dominant tight ends, and they used them, too. It's not like he didn't do much. True. When he was with the 49ers, he was used. And the Niners tried to replace him with Vance McDonald.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not great. Although Vance McDonald was fast, I'll give him that. He just couldn't catch the damn ball. Shout out to Delaney Walker, by the way, wearing, what was he, 46 when he was with the 49ers as a tight end? Like, I can't even remember another tight end in the 40s.
1: Well, now you might see numbers all over the place with the new rules, which I'm all for, by the way. I I hate stupid, arbitrary, these numbers represent these positions. Let them wear whatever damn number they want. Except for like, you know, you got to limit it to two digits. You can't be, oh, here's number 198.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That would just look weird. Although I do think they should let players wear zero. I
1: don't know why they don't. Yeah, I don't get that either.
0: Like, what's the difference? It's a single digit number. Some of these teams need some numbers with the way they retire in jerseys. That's Niners are
1: (laughs) one of those teams.
0: Well, that's why Jed said they're not going to do it anymore because they are straight up running out of numbers. Uh, Getting back to some player quotes, Javon Kinlaw said that he regularly kills and eats squirrels. Because Grant Cohn asked him about that infamous video last year where he was walking through the woods with a squirrel in his mouth. And he was like, I know I, I realize I shouldn't have put it on Instagram now, but he's like, that's just something I do. Like, imagine going out in the woods and seeing Javon Kinlaw, who everyone talks about as like a giant hulk of a man, like on all fours, like army crawling up to try and catch a
1: squirrel. Like, what what are you doing, dude? <laughs> I'm surprised there aren't like Bigfoot sightings and it's just Kinlaw it's huge like if I saw him in the woods I would think it's a bear or something I mean he's huge well
0: I'm glad that we're actually talking about his technique like we mentioned earlier with D'Amico Ryan saying his technique has improved this that and the other I just like hearing something about Javon Kinlaw other than the size of his body because I think that was like legally all anyone was allowed to talk about last year was just how big he is as a guy it's nice now to see that we've moved beyond that we are acclimated to the size of Javon Kinlaw, and we can actually talk about him as a football player.
1: Yeah, I I talked about that in training camp last year. You know, you you brought it up that, oh, people are raving about Kinlaw. And I said, yeah, but if you actually look at what they're saying, all they're doing is talking about, oh, he's really strong. Oh, he is huge. It's like, that doesn't mean he's a good player.
0: Yeah, he was getting stonewalled by Lakin Tomlinson all training (laughs) camp, too.
1: Yeah, and I am a Kinlaw fan. Like I, I got into him multiple times over the season. that He didn't have a bad rookie year. A lot of people think he did. I don't think he had a bad rookie year. He is not a position that is going to flash. He is not a position that's going to put up gaudy numbers like Nick Bosa. You know, that is what it is. All he needs to do is basically stand his ground, and his job is done.
0: Yeah, he doesn't have to be DeForest Buckner. Like, people seem to... Just assume that that's what every defensive tackle should be. DeForest Buckner is like a unicorn. A pass-rushing defensive tackle is almost unheard of. In the history of the league, there have only been a handful of guys that can do that from that spot. Kinlaw does not have to be that. If he can get some pressure, that's great. But his main job is to clog it up there in the middle and, you know, hold the ground, hold the line of scrimmage, let the linebackers do the work.
1: Yeah, I think Niner fans in general are probably – I have a little warped sense of what a defensive tackle is because they have Brian Young. They had Justin Smith. You know, they've had pass rushing defensive tackles for most of the last 25, 30 years.
0: During the time the 49ers have become a defensive organization. (laughs) Um, Last thing here. I want to get to, and this is just kind of a fun thing. Kyle Shanahan is going to be the marshal at the NASCAR cup series race at Sonoma on Sunday. He sounded pretty excited about it. If there was one sort of sporting ceremonial thing that you could do, Levin, what would it be? Would it be lighting the torch for the Raiders? Would it be gentlemen, start your engines?
1: What would it be? Uh, that's a good question. Putting me on a spot because, I mean, I'm not just a football fan, so there are all sorts of things going through my mind. But the one that immediately jumped to Into my mind, and if you gave me, like, a night to think about it, I might come up with one that I would care about more. But the one that immediately jumped in my mind is, because I'm from Indiana, Indianapolis 500, yard of the bricks, kissing the bricks, drinking the milk, that type of ceremony.
0: You know you can just go to the store and buy milk, right? (laughs) It's not hard to get.
1: I can go to the store and buy a football, too. It's a whole atmosphere and everything.
0: I don't know about that choice. I will take uh, my first thought was first pitch like, anywhere, but, like, there's also a lot of pressure that comes with the first pitch, right? Like, it's cool to say you're going to do it, but then when you get out there and you actually have to throw the damn thing, like, if you screw that up, you're going viral, period.
1: I thought you were going to go with Taysom Hill Towel Boy. Yeah,
0: no. (laughs) Nope, not going to do that. Um... I do li- I like the Raiders thing though, lighting the flame. I think that's
1: cool. I know it's a Raiders thing. But... I would rather do the Olympic one. Like that's what I thought you were saying all the way up until you said Raiders. I was like I'd much rather do the Olympic lighting of the torch. Lighting of the fire at the Olympic Games. Like that's much bigger deal.
0: I'm not a big Olympics guy. Like we don't care about those people for like 3.9 years and then the olympics come around and we act like we love all these people just because they're competing for the united states like I, it doesn't do much for me
1: but that's why it's special you only get it once every four years yeah, it's like so being what? married for 40 years you only get it once every four years <laughs> <laughs> you going about- with that one huh for some of us that's a lot more than we're used to i thought you were gonna say for some of us that's in the 30s
0: (laughs) like uh that was like that bill walsh line right what did he say like whatever you're doing for the winning streak keep doing it for some of you that means no sex whatsoever for others that means a lot of sex and the whole room just burst into laughter
1: (laughs) yeah I, i don't know i can't like right now off the top of my head like there are so many like I think a lot of the things that are popping in my head are things that are super rich in tradition and like old time traditions. Cause I keep thinking of like Wimbledon, you know, something that's been around a long time, very, very rich in tradition, something with the masters, you know, that's why Indy 500 popped in my head. Like, I think that's what I care about. That's why the Olympics probably mean more to me than you. It, I care a lot about like the mystique and the old traditions that have survived. It's why I care about baseball.
0: Dot the I in script Ohio. Would, you, would that be you? Would you be in on that or you don't care?
1: Don't go to Ohio with me. Come on, no.
0: You're well, in know.
1: Indiana. I don't. So <laughs> I know, what? I know Connecticut doesn't really have any rivals because nobody gives a shit about Connecticut. True. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, the whole Ohio thing. Like, oh. You know that you know what people from Indiana chant when that whole oh thing pops up. You're gonna you're gonna have to be busy editing on this part. (laughs) When they hear oh, the response is you. (laughs) Wow. So yeah, like there are big time rivalries in the Midwest.
0: This seems a little extreme.
1: (laughs) Well, Indiana's big time rivalry is more with Kentucky. That's kind of the you know Michigan Ohio are the big rivals of each other but we all kind of hate each other. Everybody hates Kentucky. That is the funny <laughs> thing. Everyone? Yes, everybody literally if if you find somebody from Illinois and say what's your best Kentucky jokes, they're going to have Kentucky jokes. Like everybody has Kentucky jokes because they are the the Midwest state that wants to be a southern state. So they just culturally are completely different.
0: I don't understand the state Robert. but but like you said I'm Connecticut kid born and raised so You don't
1: have states up there.
0: That's what well, I mean we no one cares about <laughs> Connecticut. You're right. Like Connecticut is just the the non-threatening nutmeg state. We have good pizza. <laughs> uh, you have to give us credit for that. We have excellent excellent pizza. But that's pretty much it.
1: You you live in those states that when you're when you're in them you go, "Oh, hey, we're into Oh, never mind, we're out of Delaware." Like you go in and out of them so quickly. Like It's hard to have a rivalry when it's literally 10 miles big. That's Rhode (laughs)
0: Island. You (laughs) know, not every state in the Northeast is Delaware and Rhode Island, right? Like you're aware of this. (laughs) Pennsylvania is quite large.
1: (laughs) Really? I didn't know that living in Pennsylvania. (laughs) Pennsylvania is sneaky big.
0: Like you could drive for a while and still be in Pennsylvania.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh, which is like 20 miles from the western border. And Philly is six hours for me. Well, it, It's more like five, five and a half, I guess. Depending on how you drive, it's five to six hours, put it that way. But that, right. that's nothing to me, because I came from a state that's much bigger. We have veered
0: wildly off course here, so no. I'm going to, yeah, I know, that's sort of our thing. I'm going to steer us back on course. I'm going to challenge you to hunt and kill a squirrel before next week's show. And if you don't do it, your status here on Niners Nation could be up in the air. I'm just throwing that out there.
1: I'm real worried. I'm going to get right on that, let me tell you. What are you going to do?
0: The squirrel has two-to-one odds. I'm just letting you know.
1: (laughs) I don't hunt for a reason. I'm one of those, I wouldn't say hypocritical, because I'm fine if somebody wants to hunt, as long as it's not for sport. I don't care for the people who kill just to kill and don't use the meat or anything. But I don't have a problem with somebody actually hunting and, you know, taking part in that and i'm a meat eater i just know i could never stare down the barrel of a gun and pull the trigger
0: what do you think javon kinlaw is using to kill the squirrels you think it's like a bow and arrow or you think he has a gun
1: i'm holding up my hands. because he <laughs> uses his <bear laughs> bare hair
0: and he basically just <laughs> reaches up into the top of the tree and grabs it
1: probably climbs the trees and then <laughs> sticks his hand down into their little cubby holes
0: Yeah, see, I think Grant missed an opportunity. I think we need to know more about the hunting process (laughs) personally so we can get to the bottom of that. But anyway, that's going to do it for this show. Again, uh, please rate, review, subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. We really do appreciate it. Levin, enjoy your weekend. We got more OTAs next week, we got mandatory minicamp. Things are going to be happening. Enjoy it, everybody, and we will talk to you
1: next week.